Ramble. Ramble. My dog Mango has been with me through some really crazy times in life. I mean, she's been with us for the past 10 years. If you guys don't know, Mango is my little French bulldog with half hair. Okay, she's fuzzy only half the time. And she is literally the glue of my family. I have quite literally named an entire podcast and a YouTube channel from my dog Mango. She is the reason that these channels exist. But three years ago, Mango was diagnosed with this autoimmune disease and she was always at risk of excessive bleeding. Her fur was falling out in clumps. It was it was a pretty stressful time in my life. I was constantly emotional about Mango being in pain and then I would be, get so stressed out every time I started going over the vet bills. Every time we took her to the vet, it was like thousands of dollars because her condition was so difficult to treat. And I am just so thankful that we had savings to cover it. I wish I had known about Spot Pet a few years back. It would have just eased so much of that stress. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, is here to share a message today on how they are a secret weapon against the unexpected. Because with Spot Pet Insurance, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills. Our dogs are always there for us during our hardest times, and we need to be there for them too. Go to SpotPet.com today and get a quote instantly. Visit SpotPet.com. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductibles, coinsurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit SpotPetIns.com slash sample policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. Welcome to this week's mini-sode of Rotten Mango. I'm your host, Stephanie Sue, and let's just jump right in. To catch you up to speed in part one, which you need to listen to before this one, because this is part two, it's the episode right before this, okay? It covers the really outrageous lifestyles of Angelo and Kenneth, the two cousins. They enjoyed ripping women, watching porn with Angelo's sons. I mean, that is the epitome of family bonding. Guess who else joined? Angelo's son's underage girlfriends who occasionally Angela would have sex with. So they would pretend to be police officers to terrify sex workers into compliance. They started a new business venture together, an LLC, to become pimps, okay? They were holding women hostage, forcing them into essentially sex trafficking, okay, sex slavery. They were raping them. They were beating them with wet towels because wet towels don't leave bruise marks. This is something that Angelo taught Kenny. As a big older cousin, he said, I need to show you. I need to show you the rite of passage. To top it off, they were dating a ton of women at the same time. Yeah, a lot of women wanted to date them. They had some interesting tattoos and they had just committed their very first murder of a woman named Yolanda whose occupation was a sex worker. She was originally not their main target, by the way. So this was her best friend, Deborah, had sold the two cousins this list, a list that would help them expand their LLC, their business venture. But she ended up scamming them, okay? She ended up saying, this list is going to make you so much money because all of these clients want sex workers to come over. I mean, isn't that what you want? Isn't that the best way to grow your business? But it ended up not really working out. They couldn't track her down. She went into hiding and they killed her best friend instead to send her a message. Angelo and Kenny did not come to play. That was their message. They left Yolanda Washington's assaulted, beaten, strangled body in the sunny hills of Los Angeles, and that was just the beginning of the Hillside Stranglers. So on the early morning of Halloween, residents who lived on a quiet street on the hills started their days as normal. Some of them went to work, some of them went on a walk, some went to take out the trash, and many of them soon saw Judy Miller's body just laid out on the curb, completely new. Is that the 
friend? No, that's Yolanda. This is their second victim. Her legs were spread. Her hands were handcuffed underneath her. There were bruises all along her neck. She had been raped, sodomized, and strangled to death. And the way that she was positioned made it seem like the killers wanted someone to catch her this way. I mean, she was literally spread eagle on the curb of just like a residential street in the hills of Los Angeles. So a lot of people woke up Halloween morning and they were not having a good time. The LAPD were not having a good time because initially they didn't even know this girl's name. Nobody was coming forward saying, hey, I know this person, but you know who was having a good time? The cousins. The cousins. Halloween week had started off with a bang for the cousins. Angelo and Kenneth, I mean, they had spent a lot of time hanging out at home. Kenneth was excitedly telling Angelo, you'll never believe the party that I went to. It was on Hollywood. Can you believe it? Fucking Halloween on Hollywood Boulevard. Anyway, I went dressed as a slug. Can you believe it? A slug? Silence. Yes. You know, like a snail. It was really creepy. We painted our faces green. We put these green garbage bags on and we had these green leotards. Oh my God, I get this. We had green saran wrap trailing off of us like slime, you know? Mm. Oh, it was great. Halloween in Hollywood. Unfucking believable Now, Angelo... He was bored with this conversation. He was bored with Kenny. He was bored with everything on TV. But mainly, he was just bored about just life. Nothing exciting was going on. Kenny would just never shut up about his girlfriend being pregnant again. He kept borrowing money from him. Are you kidding me? Stop asking me for cash. I don't have any. Kenny never made a penny for himself. He's so annoying. But at least Kenny was obedient. Otherwise, Angela would have gotten rid of him a long time ago. He was better than most, quote, because he was useful hey kenny i need to get out of the house i need some action you want to do something uh sure what do you have in mind i'm open to suggestions we could go scamming down hollywood or or maybe we pick up a girl but the problem is last time felt so rushed didn't it yeah i was just about to tell you about that backseat sex aka backseat race sucks it's not comfortable it's for high schoolers it's totally overrated Why don't we pick up a girl and bring her back here? Okay, now we're talking. All right, let's bring the cut back here. But just to be safe afterwards, we have to... And he ran his hand across his throat. Yeah, no problem, Angela. We can do whatever you want. So they doused themselves in their aftershave and their deodorant. They grabbed Angela's fake police badge and their favorite pair of handcuffs, and they were on their way. Off to Hollywood Boulevard, they go. They were blasting music in their Cadillac. I mean, they felt like they were on top of the world. They felt like everybody was watching them as they drove past. They felt like the kings of Los Angeles. But there wasn't anyone on the street. There wasn't anyone pretty on the street. There wasn't any sex workers on the street. What the hell is going on? Man, Sundays are dead. Should we try like a side street or something? Or maybe we could try sunset. And I quote, the strip always is full of ass any day of the week. So they start driving down Sunset Strip slowly. And they spot a girl standing alone on the sidewalk. She was a sex worker. Her name was Judy Miller. And they lure her into the car with the promise of money. Typically, Kenny would wait outside, take a walk around the block. Angelo would pull up because, you know, a lot of sex workers, they were hesitant to get into the car with just two guys. It felt a lot safer with just one. Then Kenny would run up and be like, hey, that's my buddy Angelo. And he would just hop into the car and made it seem like it was a natural coincidence once she was already inside the car. Because it's hard to back out once you're already in the car. 
So that was typically their method of getting these women, but this time they cut straight to the case. Once Judy was in Angelo's car and he started driving down the side street slowly, Kenny catches up. Hey, 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 stop the car, stop the car. And he opens the door, leans in, flashes Angelo's police badge and says, you're under arrest. To To the girl. To the girl, okay. Oh, not again. Can you please step out of the car and get into the back? We're going to have to go for a ride. So he moves her from the passenger front side to the very back of the car, and she complied to all of this. And he asks, is the guy standing in the parking lot, is he a pimp? No, no, he wasn't. Okay, but there was a guy. That might be a problem. Well, that's not my pimp. Are we going to the Hollywood division? No, we're going to a special unit. But I haven't done anything wrong. Well, you're being arrested for soliciting sex work. That's illegal, isn't it? So they start driving all the way back to Angela's place. And the whole time, they're pretty much surveying her, watching her through the car ride. She looked maybe about 15 to 16 years old. She was very petite. They believed that there was no way that she was going to cause any trouble. This one is going to be easy. That's how they felt about it. They pull into his driveway and she's, she's confused. What is this place? It's a satellite police station. Oh, okay. So Angelo opens the back door. They pull her out of the car and drag her inside. All right, well, ma'am, we just need to ask you a few questions. It's standard procedure. How old are you? 15. And Angelo started smiling because that was a good age, a really good age. You're pretty young to be whoring, don't you think? I- I'm not. I didn't do anything wrong. What is this place? This doesn't feel like a police station. Why would there be an aquarium in a police station? So she starts catching on that something bizarre is happening. Not to mention that there's a sign that says, please remove your clothes. Like a funny home good sign. Like a hee hee ha ha sign. So they tell her, sit there, shut up. You move an inch and you're going to be sorry. You're going to lose your life. And she's shaking in her boots. She's sitting on this living room couch. They creep up behind her, force a gag into her mouth. They secured it with duct tape. I mean, they really secured it. They taped the duct tape over her head three times. They grabbed, you know, inside of the car seat. So you know how Angelo has the um, garage, the auto shop that he has in his garage? He has an auto shop in his garage. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So they, they got the car stuffing from inside the car seats. Like you just rip it open and it's foam. Yeah. So they used that to cover her eyes and they taped it three times. They duct taped it to her eyes. She's not able to see. She can't scream. They each grab her elbow, force her to stand up, and they start taking off her handcuffs. And they keep, you know, whispering threats into her ear. I'm warning you right now. If you try anything, anything at all, you're going to get hurt. Meanwhile, Angelo is watching in the mirror because one entire wall in his dining room had mirrors on it. And he watches while Kenny undresses this young 15-year-old girl. And he would make such blood-boiling comments like, eh, not much tits, huh? When they were done undressing her, they take her into the spare bedroom where once Sabra, then Becky, then Jennifer had once stayed held hostage, been I mean, it was essentially a shell of a room, literally just had a bed, nothing else. They help her get onto the bed and they start asking each other in front of her. Well, who's going to go first? Well, how do we decide? Well, I don't care. You choose. Okay, well, let's keep it fair. So Angelo decides that they're going to do a a coin toss. Kenny calls tails. Angelo heads. Well, Kenny, would you look at that? Looks like you're getting sloppy seconds. Okay, well, get out of here and get all get all of her together put it on the table i'll take care of it when i'm done mind you she's still on the bed listening to all of this don't forget to empty the entire purse leave the stuff on the table okay see if there's money in there go through her pants pockets 
As Kenny rushes out of the room, Angela takes off her gag because he, and I quote, liked to hear her squeal. They also took pictures of this. I mean, Kenny started going full-on photographer mode, taking pictures of his cousin, Angelo, as he was raping this 15-year-old girl. Now, mind you, I mean, this is really disgusting. They're cousins, first of all. She's 15, and once Angelo's done, Kenny goes in to assault her. And now they're back to the drawing board. They've done what they wanted to do. They got what they wanted, but now what? What are we going to do? Should we strangle her, Angelo? Isn't that the only way? Do you have any other ideas? No, no, no. I think strangling is the best way to kill someone. Shooting, stabbing, all of these things. I mean, they're way too messy. Besides, don't you get a little turned on watching a girl gasping for air? You have to admit, it's kind of appealing. Mind you, Judy is listening to all of this. She is laying in the bed, breathing heavily. I mean, she's panicking. They leave her for a few minutes, only to come back with a large wooden spoon from the kitchen and a white nylon cord. And they start arguing. Kenny, you strangle her. I'm going to sit on her legs so she doesn't try to kick you. Wait, let's actually tie up her ankles first so that she can't move around. Oh, what if she tries to kick us in the nuts? Wait, ah, oh, man, I forgot something. Hold on, be right back. Angelo comes back with some underwear. Listen, she's going to pee or crap or something. I don't want her to get my rug dirty. Because when you die, sometimes you have a release of bowels. So they walk in with all their little tools. And Angela tries to persuade her, tries to calm her down. Here, honey, sit up. It's okay. We're just going to put some clothes on you. It's all right. It's all right. Now, it's said that he had a very paternal voice if he wanted to, like very fatherly if he really tried. Everything's going to be okay. They start tying up her ankles. She's shaking violently at this point. And Angela puts a plastic vegetable bag from like the grocery store where you would put your cucumbers or I don't know, your apples over her head, slips the cord around her neck and starts pulling. And they just sit there excitedly watching this plastic bag frantically inflate, deflate. And then slowly the breathing calms down. And soon enough, the bag is barely moving. And at the end, it stopped puffing. And it was over. They had just murdered their second victim. And when they start cleaning the area, taking off all her gags, her duct tape, they notice a little bit of blood trickle out of her mouth. And I don't know why, okay? But Angelo felt this was the most appropriate time to use one of his favorite sayings, which was, and I quote, only women bleed. Which medically speaking doesn't sound correct at all. And I'm sure in prison he's going to find that to be a very false saying, but I digress, okay? They push Judy into the car and they start driving all the way to a little town in the hills of Glendale called La Crescenta. Now, this is a middle class town. Kenny had really never been here, so he's confused. Hey, Angelo, how do you know this place? Where are we taking her? Where are we going? You'll see. Once you get there, you'll know where I'm going. Really? But how do you even know this area? You see that little house up there? That's where that cunt Melinda Hooper lives. Oh, I can't wait for her to wake up tomorrow. She's going to get a surprise. Who is Melinda again? It's just a girl that he hated. What? So he was like, oh, I can't wait for her to wake up and see a dead body on the street. All right, now close your door real quiet. Don't even close it, okay? We're going to dump her on the sidewalk of the neighborhood. Uh, wait, on the sidewalk? People are going to see her. Yeah, that's the point, Kenny. Hopefully Melinda will find her. I would kill to see her face if she does. And just like that, on a residential street, they just dumped Judy's body on the sidewalk and left. I mean, Kenny, he's on edge the whole ride back home. He felt on top of the world. We did it. We did it this time. We did it, Joe. No, I'm kidding. We did it, Angelo. Wait till they find her. I'll, it'll make the papers. It's going to be on every news channel. 
And originally it wasn't because when the police arrived to find Judith's body, Judy's body, at first nobody knew her. Nobody came forward. Nobody said they were a family member or even a friend. Police had to physically walk up and down Hollywood Boulevard to see if they could find a witness or someone to even say, hey, wait, I know her name. And that's how they found out that she was a 15-year-old girl. She had run away from home. She would sometimes resort to sex work for a place to sleep at night or even food. I mean, she really was struggling. She would keep a picture of her two younger brothers in her purse with her at all times. And they just had no idea who would want to do this to this young girl. She had no enemies. She had nobody. I mean, this is a sexual sadist. This is someone who literally just got off on killing women, right? With all of this taking place, Kenny is aggressively calling Angelo. Hey, it finally made the papers. But it's like a little dipshit story in the way back. Nobody's even going to read it. Anyway, it's in there, though. Maybe it'll be on the news tonight. They said they don't even know her name or who she was or anything. Angelo thought this was hilarious. You mean the c didn't have a name? No, but you can't beat that. The sheriff's department is asking the public for help. They might even offer a reward. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? We better figure out how to make money from this. So they believed, truly, that they could find a way to give information to the sheriff's office and make money from it. How many more times do you think we can pull something like this off? Kenny, listen to me. This right here is a winner. This plan, foolproof. We just gotta, you know, just be careful and everything's gonna be good. We can do whatever we goddamn like from now on. You're still coming over this week, right? Are you even allowed? You got permission like a good little boy? So at this point, Angelo is giving Kenny a lot of stress because Kenny's girlfriend is pregnant and she seems to be a lot more, I guess, in their eyes, needy. I think it's just normal stuff. She wants him to be around more. I mean, she's literally heavily pregnant. She's um, she's got all these symptoms. She's tired. She's exhausted. But Kenny is upset by this. What do you mean? I still do what I want, Angelo. I come and go as I please. But in fact, that Saturday, Kenneth went over and he did indeed get into a fight with Kelly before he went. I mean, she was upset. She had no idea that he was murdering people. She just knew that he was never home and she felt pregnant, neglected. I mean, after all, this is his child in her belly, no? But instead of Kenny being sympathetic, he yells at her, said that nobody wants to hang out with a pregnant bitch because you're sick all the time. I told you to get an abortion from the get go, didn't I? Didn't I tell you that? Maybe you shouldn't listen to me then. And he stormed out. But the minute that he gets into the car, and this is the way that Kenny thinks, which is so bizarre, okay? So he just screamed at her about all of this, like, you should have had the abortion like I told you to. Gets into the car, and he's smiling. Because tomorrow, she's not going to be mad at him. He's going to buy her some flowers and write her a poem about loneliness, about sadness, about that child growing in her belly. And that would be good. She's going to forgive him. She's going to eat that shit up. I don't get it. So he's, what, trying to show affection? Yeah. So he thinks that he can just say all of these things and then he's already happy leaving because he's like, oh, tomorrow she's going to forgive me because I'm going to write some bullshit poem. I mean, that's how cocky he is about this whole thing. Meanwhile, Angelo is busy prepping everything that they need that night. Tape, foam, rags, quartz. He even cut the foam and ropes into the right length so it's easy. Even the duct tape was cut and foam was already stuck to one part of it. All right, this is good. Let's head out. We just need to find a girl. You know what I was thinking, Kenny? It doesn't even have to be a sex worker, you know? What do you mean? Well, I'm saying, why does she have to be a sex worker? It could be any girl. We could literally stop a fucking nun. Do you know what I mean? Like, the city is our oyster. We got it all. We should think bigger. We could find us a virgin. 
So they start driving towards Hollywood Hills when they see a girl driving a lime green beetle convertible. And Angelo tells Kenny, follow her. Get close enough so I can get a real good look at her. So they drive up, just literally tailing her like the creeps that they are. They follow her down the street, then another and another, and they're practically tailing her all the way into her apartment parking lot. And when she parks and she gets out, Angelo jumps out with the flashlight. Hey, uh, police, can we see some ID? Yeah, what's wrong? Did I run a light or something? Uh, no, miss, uh, oh, okay, Lisa Caston. He's looking at her ID. No, Lisa, there, there's been a robbery. Your car was pointed out by a witness as leaving the scene. That's, that's ridiculous. I just got off work. And where do you work? At the restaurant. I'm a waitress there. Well, that's near the location of the robbery. You have to come with us. We have to take you in for questioning. No, I mean, this must be a mistake. I haven't done anything. There's literally hundreds of cars like mine. There's been a mistake. I was at work all day. No, ma'am, your car is a very distinctive color. You'll have to come with us. Just step over to our car over here. No, you, you just have no reason at all to question me. I mean, this doesn't make any sense. Ma'am, I, I get it. You're frustrated. You're angry. But do you really want to make a scene on the street right now? You better come with us. Now, she was hesitant, but she complied. So she gets into the back of the Cadillac. They force her into the handcuffs. And she's thinking, I mean, what is this? You must be kidding. Like, do we really have to play cops and robbers? Like, you don't have to handcuff me. I'm telling you, I didn't do anything. Ma'am, it's just police procedure. Like, what do you want us to do? Listen, there's no need for this. I'm not going anywhere. You've got me. Like, I'm in the back of the police car. Like, just, why do I need the handcuffs? Miss Caston, believe me, if it were up to us, we wouldn't do this. This is Kenny, by the way. Kenny is like a top-tier bullshitter. I'll give him that, okay? Listen, if it, if it were up to us, Lisa, we, we wouldn't do this. But you have to understand, most suspects are not nearly as cooperative as you are. I mean, we've had some pretty ugly incidents, you know? Do you understand what I mean? Officers were hurt, just trying to do their job, trying to do their duty. So we've evolved into these procedures. And if we make you the exception, then the whole system breaks down. I don't want to do this either, okay? It's just my job. I don't want to get fired. I mean, okay, fine, I guess. I mean, this is a bunch of baloney, though. When you guys check me out, you'll realize you're wasting your time. You've got the wrong person, but fine, go ahead. Now, Kenny is loving this role. If you guys listen to part one, you know that he wanted to be a police officer and he was declined by three different jurisdictions. So he's getting off on this role play, okay? He thinks that this is the time of his life. He's like shining through. He's getting off on the authority. Yeah, ma'am. Yeah, sure, sure. We'll we'll check everything out and we can always take you back if everything's OK. Now, when they get to Angelo's house, Lisa was adamant, adamant. Yeah, no, I'm not going inside with you guys. That's not a police station. Mm -mm, not absolutely not. Not a day in hell would I step foot in there. That's not a police station. And so they essentially force her in by threatening her to take her life, essentially. And they drag her into Angelo's house. Now, once they get her in, because they're worried that Lisa being older than Judy, being angrier and more skeptical, let's keep her handcuffed. They just cut off her clothes with scissors instead. Now, this part's going to get you so mad, okay? Because my blood was boiling when I was reading this part. The cousins weren't happy because she hadn't shaven her legs. Angela was super disappointed. He thought, he thought that she was one of those weird health nuts that don't shave. And he made it very clear, like, oh, I don't even want to have sex with her. So he decided, and I quote, to pass up on sex this time. You mean rape? Of the woman that you just kidnapped? 
So Kenny drags Lisa into the room, viciously assaults her. I mean, she was bleeding everywhere. And Angela was getting frustrated with the way that the day was going. Not only was he expecting her to have shaven legs, but she didn't. But now Kenny's making her bleed. That's going to get on the carpet. And now he was not paranoid because of the DNA evidence. He genuinely didn't care. Who cares about CSI? That doesn't exist. He just loved his damn carpet. Let me tell you how big of a neat freak he is. Later, when the police search his house for DNA and fingerprints of the victims, Mm -hmm. they don't even find Angelo's DNA or fingerprints in his house. What? He just was that big of a freak. So he just cleans all the time? All the time. Wow. Can you imagine? Here, put the towel on the floor so we don't get any blood on there. And the murder took place as usual. But in his frustration, Angelo wanted to try something a little bit different. When he went to strangle Lisa, he would bring her to the brink of death and then he would loosen the cord so that she could get air. And then he would tighten it again, torturing her while bringing her to the edge of death over and over and over again. And this guy, he was proud of himself. And at the end of all of this, he was exhausted and uninterested and said, Kenny, can you finish the job? And as Kenny strangled Lisa, Angelo stands towering over her, screaming, die, cut, die. So they put her body in the car, just like they did with Judy, and they dump her body and all of her stuff. And Angelo's giving Kenny a whole rundown in the car back. Listen, Kenny, it wasn't worth it. That one, that one wasn't even worth it. She was a dog. If I had known it was going to turn out like this, I would have just stayed home, watched some TV. Are you kidding? With all the girls to choose from in L.A., why should we settle for anything but the top of the top? Before the police could even solve Judy's case, which they didn't even have many leads for, six days later, they get a phone call. A body was found at a golf course in Glendale. It was 21-year-old Lisa Castens. She was found completely naked, assaulted, and strangled. And only three days later, the cousins went out into town again. This time we're going to do it right, right? Okay, promise me. We're going to find a girl that fits our needs, our aesthetic, okay? So they drive around all of L.A. picking at each girl. No, I don't like her hair. No, look at those legs. No, I bet she's a little bit chunky under there. Like saying these types of obscene remarks at girls who would never be interested in them to begin with, okay? Till they finally find one, Jane King. She was waiting at a bus stop and they said that she was slim, petite, blonde haired, wearing tight jeans and high heeled boots. Hey, Kenny, you see what I see? Oh, yeah, I do. She ain't no slob. I can see that much. What do you want to do? She's not going to go with two guys. Let's be real. But it's just like right here out in the open. We can't just drag her into the car. Someone's going to see. We got to get her into the car. She's got to want to go with us. But she's not going to. Look at her. She's not going to want to go with us. Okay, okay. That's okay. Angelo, I got this. I, th- I think I can um, build rapport with her. She's going to want to talk to me, right? So he gets out the car, rushes to the bus stop. And says, just drive around and come back to the bus stop later. So Kenny jumps out, walks towards Jane. Hey, uh, ma'am, do you know when the bus is coming? (laughs) No, we just missed one. There might be another one soon, but it'll probably take like 30 minutes. You know how it is. I know my car. I just can't believe it. My car's in the shop. Public transport in L.A. It's terrible. I mean, I can't wait to get my car back. Oh, you're, you're not from here? Well, I'm originally from New York. I've been here a while, but people are friendly here. I'll say that. Everybody got a smile on their face. Yeah, no, it's not like uh, back east. You know, you talk to someone at a bus stop, they think you're crazy. It's not not like that here. But, you know, you just get off work or something. 
Now, Jane was normally an incredibly cautious person. That's what all of her friends said. But there was just something about Kenny. His voice was so nice. He was not aggressive. His whole demeanor, I mean, he was very welcoming. He's the type of guy where a girl would look at him and say, okay, this guy is the type of person that I would walk up to in a busy bar and say, can you please help me? Like, this guy's chasing me. So genuinely, just seemed sweet, wasn't trying to take advantage of someone. So she starts telling him she's going home after acting classes. And that's when Kenny starts aggressively waiting. Hey, hey, he's waving in the air. That, that's my friend. Hey, come over here. Can you beat that? Are you kidding? Hey, Tony, drive over here. How about a lift? Can you take me home? Tony pops his head out. Hey, yeah, sure. Hop in. Where have you been, man? And so he approaches the car and he sticks his head in and he t- kind of whispers to Angelo a little bit. Then he turns back and says, wait, uh, he, my friend says, my buddy says he can give you a ride if you live near here. If you're not too far, you want to hop in. The bus isn't coming for a while. Like you said, you lucked out. Oh, um, I, I don't think so. I'll just wait for the bus. It's OK. You guys go ahead. No, really? You don't have to worry. This is my cousin. Besides, we're both in the L.A. Police Reserve. And he pulls out his badge. You're a lot safer coming with us than sitting here alone on this corner. I mean, I hope you don't live too far, though, because I don't think Tony's going to want to drive that far. I hope you get it. Um, I live, like, right on Franklin, so I guess it's not that far. Okay, yeah, great. Hop in. So she hops into the car. This is my cousin, Tony, and I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. To- I totally forgot to ask your name. What's your name? Jane King. Okay, well, Jane, this is Tony. Tony, this is Jane. And I'm Kenny. Kenny Bianchi. Again, this guy seems so nice, no? Mm-hmm. Like the way that he's building rapport, the way that he's like handling all these things. I mean, it genuinely feels like just a, you got lucky meeting someone nice on the street. So he's really charismatic. and Yeah. Wow. I love meal deliveries. In fact, I love everything about having my meals delivered straight to my doorstep, except the delivery fees. That's why I signed up for the Dash Pass, an exclusive membership from DoorDash that lets you make an unlimited amount of fee-free orders for eligible orders. Whether it's food from your favorite restaurants, groceries from across town, or anything in between, the Dash Pass can get you $0 deliveries and lower service fees on eligible orders. That means you can easily save money at your favorite restaurants and grocery stores the dash pass practically pays for itself in two orders on average the math is mathing plus dash pass gives you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items and all of this for only $9.99 a month open the door to zero dollar delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else sign up for dash pass today only on doordash and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member subject to change terms apply When I was in high school, I had this ritual every day after coming home from school. I would grab a salty snack, sit down, watch my favorite mystery drama on TV. And recently I discovered the adult version of that, which at the end of the workday, I grab salt and vinegar chips, snuggle up on the couch, and I play June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden objects mystery game that makes me feel like I'm living inside of a mystery TV show that is very immersive. You play as Detective June Parker, and you just found out that your sister and husband were murdered. This is a fictional story. So you fly from London to New York to investigate, but the clues are just not adding up. So you get to go through these series of scenes from the mansion living room to a lavish garden to a 1920s style New York cafe. In each room, you have to find hidden objects that help you solve the mystery of your sister's death. And in the meantime, a whole lot of unexpected 
just scandalous twists are going to happen. There's family secrets, danger, there's romance. I love traveling all over the world with June. Currently, I'm exploring Paris in the 1920s. Because the game is set in the 1920s, it just has the most aesthetic game design ever, and it's so cozy. Whenever I need a break from the suspense, I can pause the story and head over to my private island, yeah, they give you a private island and you get to customize it however you want for you. I love cottage core mixed with that old money vibe with a huge mansion and a luxurious garden and even like this train rail. June's journey is the best way to unwind at the end of a long day or just to take a break in the middle of the day when I feel overwhelmed. I can escape all of my problems and turn into Detective June. Discover your inner detective when you download June's journey for free today on iOS and Android. So before taking Jane quote-unquote home, Kenny conveniently spots a market and asks Tony, hey, can we stop by? I need to buy some cigarettes. Jane, you don't mind waiting in the car, right? You need anything? Cigarettes, gum, food, anything? No, you're good? Okay, well, we'll be right back. So the cousins rush inside and they start talking about strategy. What do we do? And Angelo is just distracted. She is one of the best-looking chicks I've seen in a long time. We'll tell her I need to go home first and then you will take her home afterwards. I don't know if she's going to fall for it. Okay, I'll try. So when they get back, Kenny asks Jane, hey, would you be okay? Listen, my cousin here, I mean, he's a really nice guy. He didn't want to burden us, but he's got to go home right now. He has to do something or else it's, it's really going to mess him up. I can't really talk about it, but it's like work stuff. Do you mind if we go with him? And he said, I can take this car to drop you off. So he's making it seem like essentially they're dropping Angelo off at his house using his car to drive Jane mm -hmm. home. So just so they can drive to angelo's house yeah without her freaking out yeah oh oh no that that's way too much trouble for you guys because i i don't even live that far from here i'll just walk back to the bus stop no no no, no really i mean we can't offer you a ride and then say no besides it's literally no trouble for us truly oh um okay yeah i guess i i appreciate it thank you when they get to angelo's house they pull into the driveway and their dog is rushing to the car. And it was like this awkward moment of Jane is waiting for Angelo to get out and Kenny to get into the driver's seat so that he can drive her home. Yeah. But nobody's moving. Nobody's getting out of the car. Nobody's even saying anything. And then out of nowhere, both men jump out, grab her by the arms, one on each side, and they throw handcuffs onto her. What are you doing? What's going on? Let me go. Keep your mouth shut and nothing will happen to you. And they rush her into the house. Now she's in the living room, gagged, blindfolded, and they take off her handcuffs. She starts fighting back. I mean, they get so panicked that they throw them back onto her and they cut off her clothes with scissors like they did with Lisa. And when they try to take off her skinny jeans, it's said that Angelo was making these obscene comments like she's sewn into these things tight enough to show her ass. Cunts love to show their ass if they've got one and she's got a nice one. So the cousins flip a coin and Angelo won. He drags her into the bedroom and Kenny felt this was too good to pass up. So he watched his very own cousin rape Jane. And she's fighting back, screaming, like, is this some sort of like sick joke? And they kept telling her, listen, I will beat you if you resist. And Jane never stopped fighting back. It got so difficult for the cousins that they hogtied her with a rope. And Angelo masturbated while watching his cousin Kenny rape her. Afterwards, they torture her. They slowly strangle her, bringing her back, then strangling her again until she was finally dead. 
And this part gets so sick. They start going through her stuff afterwards and her ID showed that she was 29 years old and they were shocked. Kenny called her well-preserved, the kind of chick that would look good at even 40. Angelo said that they did her a favor. They let her die young and gorgeous. What a, what a great favor. They clean up the crime scene. They dump Jane's body within a bush along the road leading off the Golden State Freeway. This time, they didn't want her body to be easily found or displayed. So after this murder, I mean, the two cousins, they felt invincible. They talked about kidnapping an even younger girl. Angelo said, you gotta, you gotta try a virgin, a schoolgirl, a quote, unspoiled, barely ripe, helpless girl. Kenny was getting so excited. He was always fantasized about things like this. Oh, he fantasized about the buttery baby skin and the little voice. And Angelo said, nothing beats a young girl's helplessness and fear. So they start on their drive, and that's when they spot two young girls, 12-year-old Dolores and 14-year-old Sonia. Now, the two girls had just gotten onto the public bus, and they start tailing the bus to the stop that the girls get off at. And they quickly flash their police badges at them. Hey, girls, there's an armed burglar loose in the area. He's considered armed, highly dangerous, and he's going to shoot if he feels cornered. You guys are way too young to be out. Let's get you guys home before something happens. Now, the young kids, I mean, they were really anxious about this because they had just stolen $100 worth of jewelry at the mall. I'm not laughing at that. Okay, I'm just, just, you know, you remember being young and you're like terrified because you think the tiny little thing that you did is, you know, the police know everything, right? So they're like, oh, shoot, what do we do? Now, they thought that the police would search them in the car or find out somehow, or maybe it would come up on the radio and they'd be in the car already and they wouldn't have a time to run. So they, they were panicked. But they convince them to get into the car. And they do. Now, once they get to Angela's place, they're still terrified. And even when they start taking off the girl's clothes, truly, this is how innocent they are. They believe that they were being strip searched for their stolen goods. They were both raped, sodomized, and Sonia was the first to be killed. And Dolores was scared. She was terrified and she kept screaming for, where's Sonia? Where's Sonia? Oh, don't worry. You're going to see her soon enough. Once both girls were killed, they were dumped in a cow patch. Then we have Christina Weckler, who was 20 years old. She was an honor student at the Pasadena Art Center of Design. I mean, just a really respected school for art, right? She happened to live in the same apartment complex as Kenneth. Her apartment was like the opposite of his, okay? Very tidy. She loved being neat. Her clothes were always perfectly neat, laid out for the next day of school. Her one hobby was astrology, and she had this giant book that she would lay out for the predictions for that year, for her astrological sign, like her zodiac sign, right? Mm -hmm. But she would never be able to live it out because in the same complex, someone was holding a grudge. Kenneth has always remembered that Christina was a girl that rejected him previously. I mean, how dare she? He's, He's such a catch. Why wouldn't anyone want to date him? They would be honored to date someone like him. What was she thinking? So he would do these weird things as his revenge. Like he would call her and tell her over the phone that he wants to eat her underwear. And she just thought these were prank calls because, I mean, that's not. Listen, if I got that call, I wouldn't think some serial killer is out to get me. I'd be like, what kind of 12 year old is this? Who's calling me? What a prank. Like, it it doesn't sound that serious. So one day, after Kenny moves out of the unit, he goes back to knock on Christina's door with his fake police badge. Hey, do you remember me? I I used to live, like, down the hall. Listen, I'm part of the police reserve now, and I know the badge is super lame, okay? I've been patrolling the neighborhood, and I noticed that your car, it's the Volkswagen, right? Yeah, yeah, well, someone crashed into it in the parking lot. You want to come down? I can help you write up a report and help you collect your insurance. 
in the parking lot? Are you kidding? Okay, so she grabs her stuff and she rushes down with him. But instead of getting to the Volkswagen, her car, which, by the way, was completely fine, she gets pulled into a Cadillac. Driven all the way to Angelo's, she was raped, sodomized, and tortured sexually for hours because this was someone that Kenny was upset with. This is someone that Kenny wanted to date, essentially. But Angelo was just sick of torturing his victims. He, he didn't like killing them by bringing them back and forth from death and back, right? He wanted to do something more, something exciting, like a little mad scientist. Besides, it would be a waste to not use his supplies. You see, when his mom was dying of cancer, he decided to go to the hospital to visit her, but also to steal some supplies, some syringes, some needles, you know, you know the likes. So they experimented by grabbing the syringe, filling it with Windex, the heavy-duty glass and mirror cleaner, the scary blue liquid that smells like just pure chemical, and they injected it both into Christina's arms and her neck. She started convulsing violently, but she failed to die. I mean, thankfully she didn't die, but they were upset by this, okay? Now, Angelo wasn't done having a sick fun, so he grabbed a gas pipe that he bought for the stove. He hadn't used it yet, so he hooks it up to the gas line, connects the other end to her neck, puts a giant plastic back over her head, and seals her in to breathe in straight gas. And instead of just, like, letting it flow, like... Okay, I know that the phrasing is so off, but what I'm saying is he wanted to torture her, Mm -hmm. so he would turn it on and off. So instead of like the strangling of bringing her back and forth, he was now doing this with gas. And then finally, the plastic bag stopped moving and she was dead. Christina's body was found around Thanksgiving. So we have Judy Miller around October 31st and Thanksgiving is the end of November. So all of this takes place in the span of a month in Los Angeles. And of course, the police and the detectives, they're getting stressed. Detective Grogan, who is investigating yet another murder, when he searched Christina's place, he was heartbroken. He had found her diary. She had wrote about her friends and family. She wrote specifically that she was so happy that her parents loved her. And even though this was illegal, Detective Grogan could have lost his job. He pocketed the diary. He had read through the whole thing. There was nothing of use to the investigation. It didn't need to sit in evidence. He wanted to give it to Christina's parents so they could have a piece of her left. Wow. And when Christina's dad got it, he broke down, took out a pen, slowly and carefully wrote copyright 1977 by Christina Weckler on top of every single diary entry. So that way, at least her work will be safe and not stolen like Christina was. Now, the public was starting to freak out. I mean, the Hillside Strangler is what they called the serial killer. Everyone kind of assumed that there was just one, right? Now, Angelo and Kenny, they were ecstatic. They were finally getting the attention that they so rightly deserved. The respect, the fear, the admiration. Kenny even invested in the subscription to Time Magazine so he could read all about the murders all day. Sometimes when Kenny went to work, his female colleagues were freaking out about the murders. Well, what if it happens to us? What do we do? Kenny would try to tease them, incite them, really. You guys never really know. You think you're dangerous, it's dangerous out there? How do you know that Hillside Strangler can't just be about anyone? What if they work here? Kenny, shut up! Like, stop trying to freak us out. What's wrong with you? No freaking way. Yeah. Angelo was having a blast, too. He would call up his family members. Guys, I'm so worried about my daughter, Grace, you know? The one that he molested frequently. I'm just so worried about her. She needs to watch out for this strangler guy that's loose in Los Angeles. I bet it's some weirdo that escaped from a mental institution or something. God, what kind of place is this? 
Now it was time to go back to not only scare the city, but also they weren't in the news anymore. You know, after a couple of weeks, it kind of died down. They needed to blow off steam. Kenny was going through it at home. He had gotten into a fight with Kelly. She was heavily pregnant. Emotions were flying. Instead of handling it like adults. What am I saying? This is Kenny we're talking about. Instead of being a nice person, he punched her straight in the face. And like many abusers, immediately he starts apologizing, crying. Oh my God, I can't believe I did that. What was come over me? I need help. I'm so sorry. But Kelly refused to tolerate it. She packed her bags and went to go stay with her brother. Now, as you can see, Kenny's going through it. Okay, poor little Kenny was like, woo is me. I'm so sad. I'm heartbroken. She left me. I don't even know why. And he had all this pent up heartbreak energy that needed to go somewhere. So they head out with their usual method of kidnapping victims and they come across 18-year-old Lauren Ray Wagner. The cousins really picked her because she was a redhead, and she had come out of a donut shop, and uh, she was this college student studying business. This was like her treat to herself. So she had driven all the way from San Fernando Valley into the city, and she didn't realize that as she was going back home with this treat, I mean, she was studying all day, and she got this donut as a treat for herself, that she was being followed by two guys in a Cadillac. So when she gets home, she parks near her house. So it wasn't like right up in front of her house, but near, right? She parks the car, she gets out, and the Cadillac pulls up. Hey, you're going to have to come with us, police. They hold up the fake badge. Wait, what? What? I Okay, well, I got to go tell my dad just in that house right there. I have to tell him that I'm going to the police station real quick. Is everything okay? But before she can, Kenny forcibly drags her into the Cadillac. And the whole time she's shouting, you're not going to get away with this. You won't get away with this. So because Lauren was screaming so loudly, a neighbor's Doberman starts barking like crazy. So the neighbor looks out the window and she sees, she witnesses all of this, okay? She does tell the police and she gets threatened afterwards. I mean, it's a whole thing. We'll get into it later, right? So a neighbor witnesses the whole thing. And they drive poor Lauren 35 minutes back to Angelo's place. Did the neighbor call the police? Yeah, but they couldn't really find much. Okay, okay. So they drive Lauren 35 minutes back to Angelo's place. And Lauren had a lot of time to think in this car. She decided she was going to have a strategy. She knew in her heart these were the hillside stranglers. They weren't going to let her go. These are not people who are just going to drop her off in the middle of the desert and say, okay, find your way back home. They're going to kill her. She felt her best option was to cooperate with them. So back at the house, Angelo does his routine coin toss, which feels rigged, by the way, because he wins again, and he takes Lauren first into the spare room. Now, Lauren tries to go with her strategy, which is just cooperate. And she kept telling him, you really don't need to do all of this. Like, I like having sex. Really, it's fine. Like, you guys are handsome. It's okay. And while she was being raped, she pretended to enjoy it. Like, imagine how hard and traumatizing that is for someone. And Angelo came out of the room excited, telling Kenny, oh, this is the best one yet. She knew what she was doing. She liked it. You're going to have a blast. Unfortunately, nothing, no matter what plan or strategy Lauren had, these were killers that were going to kill her. There was really nothing she could have done, nothing anyone could have done. This time, they also experimented, not with Windex, but with wires. So they hooked her up with electrical cords from his auto shop and plugged it into an outlet. And they kept electrocuting her over and over and over again. When it didn't kill her and Angelo got bored, he said, well, Kenny, let's just go back to the old method. And they murdered Lauren. 
After they dump her body, they were honestly getting pretty nervous about the police catching on to them. They had to derail the investigation. Nothing could ever lead to them, you know? So they had something in the works. Kenny noticed an apartment on the ground floor that was vacant. He asked the landlord, hey, can I, can I take a tour? Yeah, I live on the third floor, but I always like the idea of a ground floor. Maybe I look at it. Maybe I swap my lease or something. So he takes the tour and he's very excited that there's a giant balcony, you know, a back door. So excited, in fact, that he leaves the glass door unlocked. What does that mean? So he has access through the balcony door into this ground floor vacant apartment. Got it. Right. The cousins start browsing for girls, uh, usually not the way that they usually do, right, which is go out in their Cadillac, but this time through magazine ads. And they find an ad that's a sexy, young, nude model. Describe your dream girl and she will be on the way to you immediately. Call blah. So Kenny calls up the service using a payphone and gives the address of that apartment on the ground floor. The cousins, they sneak in together. They're waiting for their dream girl to show up. And her name was Kimberly Martin. Now, the sad part about this is that she was a sex worker and she was actually worried about the Hillside Strangler. She thought it would be safer to advertise her services on a magazine where it's somewhat traceable rather than on the street. So they flash her police badge. You have to come with us. We have to take you to the police station, which we know is Angelo's place. And she fought back. I mean, she was on high alert. You know, she's worried about the Hillside Stranglers. So when they take her out into the apartment hallway, she starts screaming, help me, help me. They slam her back into the apartment. She hit her head. They get up into her face. They push it into her back. You feel that? That's a knife. One more sound. We kill you. Okay? You'll be dead. So once they terrified her into silence, they brought her out into the car. She tried to reason with them. She was being smart, strategic. Listen, guys, sorry that I screamed. I was just scared, you know. I'll do anything you want. Please, just don't hurt me. I have a little boy waiting at home. Just shut up. It's probably best you just sit there and don't say anything. So back at the police station, Angelo's house, Angelo won the coin toss. But he came out disappointed and he told Kenny, quote, lousy just absolutely lousy. Once Kenny was done assaulting her, they decided to not experiment. They decided to just kill her using their good old strangle method. They honestly, I think, were a bit nervous because they kept talking about how it had been too close of a call. They knew it. And sure enough, a few days later, it was all over the papers. A woman named Kimberly Martin was found laying spread eagle on her back on the slope of a hill within sight of City Hall. Can you believe the audacity the hillside strangler has? Normally, this type, this type of press, this type of news, this type of attention would have been such a momentous, happy moment for Kenny. But he was upset. He had been forced to move out of his apartment. He was fired from his job for missing too much work. And his boss had found out that he had been lying about cancer. Remember? He, so his boss finally found out and he was like, damn it. <laughs> so Kenny was forced to move in with Kelly's brother and his friends, which he had always been jealous of. And he felt like he needed to blow off steam, but he couldn't. The cousins had this pact. They were going to stop killing for a while. They were getting too reckless, too excited. The last one was too close of a call. And Angela was worried that Kenny was enjoying the publicity too much. It's not like you're famous, dude. He, he kept acting like he was Brad Pitt. Like people were talking about him. No. And on top of that, Kenny had done something incredibly stupid. Okay, let me explain. So Kenny reapplies for the LAPD. And without even getting in. In one of the interviews, he asks the police officers interviewing him, Hey, can you take me to where the bodies were dumped for the Hillside Strangler case? Why? He just wanted to go. They're like, no, 
You're weird. We're not going to hire you. You're too excited about that case. What's your deal? And they didn't take him. But Angela was pissed. He was like, what are you thinking? What are you doing? What's wrong with you? Don't ever do that again. How is he so ballsy? Yeah, that's so stupid, Kenny. What's wrong with you? So in the stress of all of that, Angela goes and blows off steam by sleeping with one of his son's girlfriends. And Kenny tries to get his life together. He starts a new job at a local nursing home and he romantically tries to get Kelly back by going to birthing classes with her. Sure, he's still cheating on her. Yeah, he's still murdering people, but but it's going to be okay. He starts on his off time picking up young girls at Glendale High School, taking them to a deserted abandoned house to have sex and huff paint. Okay, which was essentially room spray, but you get the idea. They were huffing paint. He would drive around young girls, sometimes as young as 14 years old, to, quote, drink in his car. And while he tried to seduce them in the hills of L.A. I mean, it's just what? So things are not going great for the cousins. But Kenny's anger spikes again when his beloved Cadillac gets repoed for missing payments. And he felt it was all Sabra and Becky's fault. Remember the girls from part one where they held them hostage, sold them into sex slavery, essentially? I mean, it was bad. But he said if they hadn't left, if they just had stayed and been miserable and been raped every single day, multiple times a day by all these men and never got a, paid a penny, he could be rich. And he'd still have his Cadillac. God, now how is he going to impress the high schoolers without his freaking Cadillac? So months pass, December to February 16th. They try to stay under the radar, but Kenny can't take it anymore. His life is miserable. Angelo's life is miserable. They keep talking to each other like, I have so much potential, but I'm not, you know, achieving it. I hate my life. We have degrading jobs. We don't have a car to impress people anymore. And Kenny is really going through it. I mean, he's like really upset. He's depressed. So Angelo's like, okay, okay. Why don't we go for a ride? I'm sick of you complaining. Who knows? Maybe something exciting will happen. And immediately, Kenny feels better. They start driving around the valley. It was a nice day out. And it must have been their lucky day because around noon, they spot a blonde girl sitting alone at a bus stop. Hey, Kenny, don't you think she needs some company? Let's ask if she wants to go to a party in Hollywood. So they pull over and she kept turning it down. No, thank you. It's, it's fine. No, thank you. No, thank you. Angelo gets upset. He leaps out of the car, grabs her by the wrist and is trying to pull her into the car. When at that exact moment, a car pulls up behind them and a woman fearlessly jumps out of it and starts yelling, you leave her alone. What are you doing? Leave her alone. Starts running towards them, grabbing for the girl at the bus stop. You're coming with me, dear. Don't let these nasty men bother you. Let her go. The cousins froze. They let go of the girl. They jump back into the car. And as they're driving around, Angelo's pissed. And he keeps telling Kenny, that lady that pulled up, that stopped the whole thing, she's lucky she was old. She's lucky she wasn't worth a rape because I would have raped and killed her too. So the woman at the bus stop and that, quote, old lady, her name was Jan. She was an absolute hero. When the two women walked into a police station, the police just brushed them off. They didn't believe it. There had been a lot of prank leads, phony leads about the hillside strangler. This old lady looks like she would accuse anyone of being the hillside strangler. You know how old people are. They're paranoid. So they did not take their statement seriously. And Kenny and Angelo didn't even care about almost getting caught. All of those months of pent-up energy, of trying to stay under their radar, had piled up and boiled over. And now, now they just needed to kill. They had to. So they take a break because Kenny has to go to the nursing home for his shift, right? And that night he comes over and he sees a car parked in the driveway. What? Who is that? Oh, hey, Kenny. uh, This is my friend, Shirley. 
my name's actually Cindy. Oh, sorry, Cindy. I'm not really that good with names. Um, yeah, she's here to see if she could. I can make some floor mats for her car. It was just a customer. Just a customer. Listen, Cindy, call me Angelo or Tony, but I gotta talk to my cousin Kenny for a second. Wait here, okay? I'll be right back. And they whisper over into a corner. Can you believe this? Can you believe our luck? What a what a gorgeous. I mean, she walks right in at closing time. Listen, we gotta do something. I talked to her. She works nights at the local college. She's on her way to work right now, but she hates it. She wants another job soon. She also wants more money for college. She's giving these like dance lessons. Oh my god, can you believe, seriously believe that? You can't beat it. A dancer. Okay, okay. What about this, Angelo? I got it. We tell her we've got a list of jobs, but it's in the main house. Once we get her into the house, I mean, we've got her good. We just handcuff her. So they lure Cindy into the main house. And the minute that she sat down on the living room chair, it was too late. She was bound and gagged. Kenny was even more ecstatic when he finally won the coin toss. He even tied her arms and legs, spread eagle on the bed, and they took turns raping her for two hours before strangling her to death. When it was finally time to clean the place up, Kenny offered to pick the place this time to dump her body and her car, remember? Because her car's in the driveway. So he chose um, a place that he used to take the high schoolers from Glendale High School called Angelo's Crest. And it was essentially a cliff. So they drove her car with her body in it and drove it off the cliff, pushed it off the cliff, letting it tumble down. And almost exactly a week later, Kenny had another child enter into the world. Ryan Bianchi, and he took pictures of his new baby like a proud father. And around that time, he gets a knock on the door. Police, open up. How can no I help way. you guys? We got a tip that you own a fake police badge. So remember Kelly's brother's roommates? Yes. Well, he, they were upset with him, okay? So Kenny had always been taking their cars without permission, having high schoolers hang around. They thought that was so creepy. But also, they found a fake police badge that they were really concerned about because the police had a press conference saying that they believed the Hillside Strangler was pretending to be police. So they called a tip into the police, okay? Now, when they came to question Kenny... He just was like, no, absolutely not. I mean, you must be mistaken. I just, I would never do something like that. In fact, I want to be a police officer really badly, but I'm not going to go around with a fake police badge. A badge is nothing if you don't have the dignity, the duty of a police officer. I mean, like you guys, look at you guys. And they didn't, they just ate it up oh and they let God. him go. So he rushes over to Angelo's. Oh my God. Can you believe it, Angelo? They ate that up i fooled the cops again the idiots didn't even ask for my id they just took my word because let me show you if they had seen my id he pulls out his id and on the front of his id is just his regular id his address his name but on the back kenny i don't know why had handwritten and like sharpie i guess right the address where kimberly her body was tossed i can't believe this so angela is frozen like what why did you write that are you sure they didn't see this are you sure what is wrong with you what if, what if Kelly saw this? What if someone saw this? What if someone you lived with saw this? What if all those rooms... Why would you do that? That's so risky. And he kept thinking to himself, Kenny is a loose cannon. And he's going to get us into trouble. I got to do something. What's the matter, Angelo? Why, why are you frozen? Why aren't you saying anything? They didn't see it, I promise. Are you mad? Hello? Angelo quietly walks over to his gun case, takes out his gun, shoves in a magazine, turns it and points it at Kenny. I had to kill you right now. Whoa, Angela, put, put that down. What's, what's going on? Tony, it's, it's me. It's me, your cousin, Kenny. We're, I thought we were in this together. Why? Why would you do this to me? I ain't in nothing, fuckhead. You stupid, big mouth, fuckhead. 
How come the cops came to see you three times but not me once? How come the cops know who the fuck you are to begin with? You don't see any cops fucking around here. What's the matter with you? You want to blow this up? You talk too much. Okay, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm just going to play it cool from now on. I promise. Please just put the gun down. He did. But for months, there would be no murders from the Hillside Strangler. Angela was avoiding Kenny, wanted to shoot him, stab him, strangle him. The more he thought about it, the angrier it got. I mean, how can someone not keep their big mouth shut for even two seconds? What's wrong with him? So the distance between the two cousins gets greater and greater. Angelo gets married to a woman from Hong Kong. She mainly married him for a visa, okay? And then meanwhile, Kenny's life is falling apart yet again. Kelly wanted to go live in her hometown in Washington State. She didn't, he didn't want to go, but he wanted to go with her. Like, be with her. What do you think, Angelo? What do you think I should do? Should I just force her to stay? No, Kenny. I think you should leave. And if you don't leave, I'll kill you. So you better go. And that's how Kenny found himself headed out of Los Angeles and into Washington. He even wrote a poem about his feelings, said he was going through a lot. The poem went like this. There is much winter sadness along a frozen lake under moonlight. For there are one's memories, tires of a squall of thought, or a framework of white spines. Death, he thought, the death of dreams caught within the icy waters. We remembered what was once mine and never will be mine once more. Lord, why then this winter, weeping into my soul, a frozen lake under moonlight? I don't know what any of that means, okay? Just dude's doing too much. So he felt this poem was beautiful. Just represented him, his feelings. And honestly, everyone should read it because it was just so, just talent. Just read off talent off the page, okay? So in Bellingham, Kenny actually managed to get into the police force. So he did have to undergo training, but this beats the job that he had prior at the hardware store where he had met this woman named Karen, which was nice because he wasn't interested in Kelly anymore because she had a baby. Now she's fat. Karen was hot. But this new job, even though he won't see Karen anymore, was good for him. So he takes that police job, but he can't stop thinking about Angelo. He can't stop thinking about how much he misses Angelo. He thought about him all day, all night, his strength, his anger, how Angelo would grab girls with his big hands, how Angelo was such a hot magnet to these girls, how Angelo hated him now. So in his sadness, Kenny masturbated into a rabbit fur rug over and over again without cleaning it. Just like masturbated onto a rug and then he would tuck it away in the closet. So it was just like a really gunky rug. I'm so sorry. Okay. Okay. So anyways, one day Kelly is going through their things and she finds the rug and it's all disgusting. It's gooey. Just exactly how you would imagine. And she wanted to talk to Kenny about it. I mean, she wasn't mad. She wasn't judgmental, but she just felt like what's going on. Like, you don't talk to me. I feel like you're a zombie in this relationship. Your, Your head is obviously somewhere else. And he just kept saying, I don't know what you're talking about. But he kept going at it, kept masturbating into the rabbit rug, thinking about all those women he killed. So she's finally sick of it. And she's like, just move out, dude. Like, we're not we're not getting along. Just move out. Okay, sounds good. He doesn't even fight it. So he moves out. And all he can think about is how he wants to show Angelo that he's not some dumb idiot, that he can be the main character. He can be more Angelo than Angelo could ever be. I'm going to be someone that that old guy, Angela, would look like a loser next to, an amateur. So after he moves out, he calls Karen, the one that he met at the hardware store. But she's not home. Her roommate, Diane, picks up. Listen, Diane, can you ask Karen to call me? I have a, I have a house-sitting job for you guys. If you want to make $100, you just have to watch this house. 
Oh, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll tell Karen and we'll think about it. So the women agree, $100 for one day of house sitting, I mean, that's a lot. So they meet up with him at a house that he was staying at, and everyone had gone on vacation, his landlords, and he had prepped the entire place. He put rope into the basement where he was planning on killing them. Now all he had to do was wait. So first he asked Karen to come check the lights in the house with him. Diane, please just wait outside. I'm just going to show Karen how to use the lights. And it really just was a minute. He ambushed her in the basement, wrapped the cord around her neck, started pulling. And it was so fast that Karen didn't even have time to make a sound. He did it so aggressively that the cord cut through Karen's flesh. And he rushed out and he got Diane just as he did with Karen and strangled her immediately. Now he was exhausted. And he didn't even really feel turned on, not even aroused, but... But he masturbated onto the two bodies because, I don't know, it's like on brand for him, I guess. One guaranteed way to make me cry is just remind me of the lifespan of dogs compared to most humans. Listen, my dogs, Mango, I know, Rotten Mango, and Tiger have been with me since before I started YouTube, before this podcast, and I truly don't know where I would be without them. But like, all I can do right now is spend time with them, take care of them so that they live the happiest and healthiest life that I can give them. Farmer's Dog is such a huge part of that. Farmer's Dog makes it easy to keep your dogs healthy, which can give you more quality years with them. So Farmer's Dog, they make and deliver fresh, healthy dog food, and it's recommended by vets. My vet literally recommended me Farmer's Dog. It's nutritionally balanced and made from human-grade ingredients in safe, clean kitchens. Tiffany has been bringing Cola, her French Bulldog, over, and she keeps some of his food at her house. She said that she's been having such a hard time trying to get him to eat, so I offered her some of Mango's food to give to him. She was amazed. She said that she's never seen Cola so pumped for food. Farmer's Dog is the best option for dogs at all life stages because it's it's not kibble, it's not canned goop, it's real food. With traditional dry or even wet food options, they're extremely processed. I mean, I can hardly understand the ingredients that go into it, and it's really hard to portion. It's difficult to understand if my dogs are getting the nutrients that they need. Farmer's Dog comes pre-portioned, and it's based on my dog's unique nutritional needs. So Mango and Tiger, they eat different meals, and it's so cool. Farmer's Dog is like human-grade food made in safe kitchens. My dogs have been on Farmer's Dog for years now, ever since Mango was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, and I just noticed so many changes. They've got a healthier coat, healthier skin, their breath is better, and right now, you can get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash mango. Let the Farmer's Dog know that we sent you, so use our code or click podcast after you sign up for your first box. That's 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash mango. I don't really like doing chores around the house, I'm going to be honest with you, and I especially used to hate doing laundry. It was just one of my more tedious tasks. It takes so much time, and I often feel tempted to not even bother sorting out my clothes. But I've been trying to motivate myself to get a lot more organized, and I finally found a way to make doing my chores so much more interesting, so much more engaging, and that's by listening to audiobooks on Audible. You guys know me, there is nothing like playing a good psychological thriller. So obviously, that's what I've been listening to. I'm currently listening to The Housemaid by Frida McFadden. The main character, Millie, is out on parole and she's desperate for a job. She doesn't have any money. She's living out of her car and she gets this opportunity to be this rich family's housemaid. Millie agrees, even though there's just something really strange about the Winchesters, especially the wife, Nina. She just seems to love finding ways to make Millie's life very difficult. The family is hiding something and Millie is hiding something and there's just so much tension between Millie and the husband. It's one of those stories that you can't stop listening to and I can't wait to finish it and start the next audiobook in this series. 
But if Thriller is not your thing, don't worry. Audible lets you pick from thousands of titles to find the perfect soundtrack to your day. You can find audiobooks from any genre, fiction, nonfiction, wellness, self-help. But they also have podcasts like this one, guided wellness programs, comedy, and originals. Living life without using Audible is like eating food with no seasoning. Sure, you still get your nutrients in, but it's missing that extra flavor, you know? So if you want to spice up your day, I highly recommend Audible. Audible members can keep one title a month to keep from the entire catalog. New members can try Audible now free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash rotten or text rotten to 500 500. That's audible.com slash rotten or text rotten to 500 500 to try Audible free for 30 days. So to get rid of them, he places them in Karen's car, drives near a school less than one mile from the house and left the car with the bodies in there. Walks back to the house, picks up his car and drives away. Now, the whole ride, he felt so good about himself. He had gotten away with it. He couldn't wait for it to be on the news. And, but he forgot to ask himself, you know, one really good question. Did Karen and Diane tell anyone that, about their house-sitting plans? Oh, my God. Was that really his exit strategy? Assuming that they told nobody? Nobody had any idea what they were planning to he do that day? He didn't think of that question. Oh, no. No, he didn't. Well, Kenny was in for a rude awakening because Karen had told her boyfriend, even mentioned Kenny by name. And when Karen didn't turn up the next morning, he called the police and the police searched the women's apartment, found a notepad. And in Diane's handwriting, they saw Kenny called, call back, looking for Karen. So he was immediately arrested for suspicion of double homicide. The bodies were found. I mean, instantly it was like near a school. Okay, like probably the most policed area possible. At his place, they found a ton of things that he had stolen. They interviewed Kelly, who said that they came from L.A., and he really only didn't have friends in L.A. He just hung out with his cousin Angelo. Once the LAPD put two and two together, Angelo was questioned right away, and he was a tough cookie. He refused to talk to the police about anything, so they didn't even have a basis, basis for a warrant for his arrest. And that's when they find a guy named Marcus Camden. So Marcus claimed that he was the last one to see Judy alive that night, which is uh, their second victim, the 15-year-old girl. He said that they had sex the night that she went missing. At first, he was nervous to come to the police because she was a sex worker and it was illegal for him to hire her. But he wanted to come forward now. They had sex at his house. He had asked her, do you want to get coffee afterwards? And they left together. But while they were walking, she was like, listen, I don't really have much time. I, I need to make some more money before the day ends. So they quickly get coffee at a diner. And afterwards, they split up. Judy leaves on her own. And she's kind of waiting around the street, waiting for someone to approach her. Now, Marcus, I mean, he's kind of watching through the window when a car pulls up. And it was Angelo. He remembered what the driver looked like. Generally, the description that he was going in. Everything. The car. And in a police lineup, he was able to ID Angelo. So now they had Angelo. And remember the other witness that saw Lauren scream? The mm-hmm. one with the Doberman? Well, her name was uh, Mrs. Stouffer, okay? So she saw Lauren get abducted. And she went to the police with this and told them everything. And then that night, she got a phone call from what we can presume to be Angelo. And she said it sounded like a deep New York City accent or something of that sort. And they just kept saying, you the lady with the dog? Well, you better keep your mouth shut about what you saw. You talk to anyone about it, you're as good as dead. I don't know how anyone would know. Maybe he had seen someone through the window and was like, oh, fuck, I got to take care of that. I just don't mm-hmm. know. So Mrs. Stouffer later was able to ID Angelo and Kenny. 
So the investigation, though, definitely was not always this smooth. There was a man from Germany who was a detective in Germany who kept writing to the LAPD. I'm going to solve this case. You just need to get me a plane ticket to L.A. I don't even want to get paid. Just get me to L.A. And when they do, he didn't speak any English. He gets into the police like operating room. Is that what you call it? Like the operations room, right? And he gets on the blackboard and writes in big letters. In German, by the way, not even in English. Two Italian brothers, maybe 35 years old, which is not wrong. How did he know that? I don't know. But the police officer who spoke German translated it and the rest of the team was just not impressed. But how did he know that? I have no idea. Oddly enough, weird, right? So strange. Just like, where did that come from? He was literally in Germany. What's going on? And it didn't seem like these Italian brothers had any connections in Europe, let alone Germany. I mean, they're from freaking Rochester, New York, okay? <laughs> so while Kenny's in jail, he starts coming up a w- with a way to escape. I mean, it's only a matter of time before the police pin the murders on him, right? And all he can think about was a movie that I had seen called The Three Faces of Eve. Eve was someone who had DID. And Kenny thought, wow, this is a great way to get a plea deal is to pretend to have DID. Now, I'm going to get so frustrated here, okay? DID is a diagnosis, okay? This is a recognized diagnosis, and it does affect a small portion of our population. It is incredibly traumatic. There is a lot of therapy that's required for someone with DID. This is not a joking matter. Like, when people pretend to have mental illnesses, when they're just people, it's like, no. Most people with DID, they would never hurt another soul. If anything, they would hurt themselves first. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like no one thinks anyone with DID is going around killing people. But he was like, oh, this is going to be great, especially because the Billy Mulligan case was a year ago. Billy Mulligan was a serial rapist who um, was the first in the United States to be found not guilty by reason of insanity because he had a DID diagnosis. Now, it's still kind of controversial to say whether this guy did have DID, not because of the DID diagnosis itself, but because of the way that he really handled himself after. Anyways, Kenny starts going around claiming he had amnesia. He's like, I don't remember anything like not nothing starts pulling out all of his acting cards. Oh, I have amnesia. I had a rough upbringing. I was shut out my whole childhood. And because of that, I think I shut out my childhood. Do you know what I mean? Like it's so dark. I bury my dark thoughts. I'm not a confrontational person. I like to bury my feelings. I just don't want to think about it again. Now, the psychologist in jail has to take it seriously because you can't assume that he's faking it. And he suggested hypnosis. Kenny's so excited. He's like, oh, yeah. I mean, I studied psychology briefly. I'm easily going to trick the psychiatrist into thinking that I have DID because you can't be hypnotized unless you want to be. So Kenny lays down. He goes through the hypnosis process. And the psychiatrist says, I would like to talk to you. I've talked to Ken, but I think there's another part of Ken that I haven't talked to. Another part that feels somewhat different from the part that I've talked to. I would like to communicate with that other part. Will you please communicate with me? When you're here, please lift the left hand off the chair to signal to me that you're here. Would you please come so I can talk to you? Would you please lift Kenny's hand to indicate to me that you're here? And slowly, Kenny raised his left hand. I would like for us to talk together. We don't even need to talk to Kenny, you know, unless you want Kenny to be here. Will you talk to me by saying that you are here? If you want to talk to me, please indicate that by saying I'm here. Now again... People that actually have DID, they have alters. Um, From my knowledge, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think you can just switch on command. 
I I believe with a diagnosis like DID, it's not like you can just like, oh, now I'm Kenny, right? I think it genuinely, you just like black out and then something happens and you don't really know what happens. And that was your alter that was presenting, if that makes sense. That's my knowledge of DID, right? So I think there was a lot of controversy about how this psychiatrist even got to this diagnosis because it's just a lot of people don't agree with his steps that he took. Mm -hmm. So anyways, Kenny lowers his voice and he says, yes. I think that maybe you are the same thing as Ken or maybe you're a little bit different in some way. Can you talk a little bit louder so I can hear you? I am not him. Then who are you? Do you have a name? I'm not Ken. Okay, then who are you? Tell me about yourself. I don't know. Do you have a name that I can call you by? Steve. You can call me Steve. Okay, Steve. Well, just get comfortable here. I'd like to talk to you. If you're not Ken, can you please tell me about yourself, Steve? What do you do? I hate him. You what? I hate him. I hate Ken. He tries to be nice, but I hate a lot of people. He tries to be friends with people, but I hate people. Okay, Steve, what do you do? I hate my mother. I fixed Ken good when he went to California. What do you mean by that? I can't tell you. You would rat me out to Ken. He won't tell me. You have to tell me, Steve. I was with him that night, and he starts laughing like a stereotypical maniac would laugh in like those movies he's like he walked in with his cousin angelo and angelo had a girl over which by the way again quick disclaimer even kenny himself has admitted to faking did he was diagnosed with a personality disorder with sexual sadism but he does not have did he has confessed that this was all a scam to get out of prison okay so just putting that out there Anyways, he claims that he got into Ken's head that night when Angelo had a girl over. Ken walked into the middle of Angelo killing this girl, and Steve made Ken feel like he was a part of it. He forced Ken to think all of these morbid thoughts, like there's nothing wrong with killing. He's getting revenge at his mom that he hates so much, right? And he said, and I made sure he really didn't know what was going on. So did he go on to kill many people? Yes, but I made him do it. I made him think that it was his mother. He thought he was killing all the people that he hated. Now, he had just stated that Ken didn't hate anybody and only Steve carried the hatred, but the doctor didn't mention this, okay? So he kept saying, oh yeah, I tricked him good. He couldn't even figure it out later what he had done or why. So Ken just forgot about it all? Yeah, I wouldn't let him remember. I made him strangle them. Okay, well, Steve, thank you. I guess you can go back where you need to go. I want to talk to Ken. You can stay under hypnosis, but Ken, I want to talk to you. Will you come back? Ken, when you're here, please say, I'm here. I'm here. Ken, do you know about Steve? Steve? Who's Steve? Well, I'm sure in the next few weeks, you'll learn a lot more about Steve. And for the next few weeks, Ken kept it up. He wrote in his diary, The name Steve keeps popping into my head. It feels familiar, but not familiar. I I think I know something now about myself. There was another stranger, another person inside of me. I think he calls himself Steve. He hates me. He hates my mom. He hates a lot. I feel this person wants to get me. Now, all of these things would be incredibly sympathetic if he really did have DID, but he had just watched like 25 million movies on DID and just felt like, you know what? I'm just going to wing it, okay? He kept saying that how he had dreams about someone who was his twin, but the exact opposite of him. So he was nice and this Steve was evil. He didn't want to murder people. Steve, all he wanted to do was murder women, right? They were. It felt like his insides were at war. 
And he said that I feel stronger, but I feel scared. I feel hate, but I don't feel like reacting to the feeling. Why does Steve hate me so much? Where did he come from? Why does he hate so much? The psychiatrist did the inkblot test with Steve and every little thing he said was very obscene. He said things like, oh, that looks like two elephants. F-ing. That looks like a big dick. That looks like an abortion. Meanwhile, when it was Ken's turn, he saw for the same pictures. Oh, people dancing, children playing, two men carrying a bucket together, a butterfly. So the psychiatrist believed Ken might have DID, but he still believed that he should stand trial for all of his crimes. And the police, they were really skeptical about this whole DID thing, okay? Not a DID in general. I mean, maybe they were because this was like in the 80s, right? But they really specifically didn't really believe anything Ken said. They wanted him to slip up. And his alter's name was Steve Walker. And the police remembered that name as somebody that Kenny had actually tried to steal the identity of to open up a business. No way. So they were like, um, what's going on, right? So, because the psychiatrist believed that Steve Walker, his, you know, alter had been around since he was a child. Mm-hmm. And that's what was told by Steve or Ken, right? I'm going to say Ken because Steve doesn't exist because Ken doesn't have DID. Mm-hmm. All right. So in 1980, while in prison, Ken gets a letter from a woman named Veronica Lynn Compton, okay? He's still going on pretending like he has DID. You know, he's going through all of that. And he gets a letter from Veronica. And she was writing to him because she was working on a script called The Mutilated Cutter. It was a play. It was a play that she was going to star in. It was inspired by the Hillside Strangler case, but with a feminist twist. Because the serial killer would be a woman. And Veronica would play it herself. She even had a dildo that squirts out that she collected male sperm and she would be a necrophiliac in the play and she would squirt, she would assault these corpses with the dildo filled with fake sperm and would squirt the sperm in there. Does that make sense to make it look like a man had assaulted these women, but it was really a dildo with sperm that she somehow magically collected? Okay, (laughs) this was her play. This was her idea of like, I'm going to make it on Broadway. Hamilton, look at this, right? Uh, Once she starts writing, the play, she starts fantasizing about having a relationship with Kenny. She felt like they would have a beautiful sex life together. And she told that to Ken so they would call each other in the prison cells, which oddly were not monitored for some reason. And she would have orgasms talking to him on the phone. Eventually, she would come to visit him in prison and they would talk for hours. During these romantic meetings, they both realized that both of them were obsessed with the idea of necrophilia. You know what they say when you start dating, find some common ground, okay? What what is it like, Kenny, to just pick a girl at random, have sex with them, and kill them? Well, Veronica, it's kind of like a kid going down the street, seeing all these candy shops, and picking any candy that they want. You don't even have to pay for it. You just take it. You just do what you want. It's the best thing ever. Kenny, wouldn't it be cool if we go on a killing spree together? Like when you get out, we could live together and we could kill dozens of people. We could keep the bodies in the basement. And then one day we could just commit suicide together. I know. We could cut off all their parts. We could have a collection, a box of vaginas, clitorises, and penises. She used much more graphic terms. I'm trying to use the medical terms. And keep them in jars. We could just take them out and look at them. What if, what if we do that? Or what if, Veronica... What if in real life you strangle someone to make it look like a man did it? Not just any man, but the same man that killed Karen and Diane. You go to Bellingham, kill a girl, leave semen on her, and that would show the police that they arrested the wrong man, a.k.a. me. Oh my god, yes. But wait, I need your sperm. So somehow, uh, he 
masturbates into a glove, a latex glove, keeps it around, gives it to her. I don't know how he smuggles it out. Then Veronica hops onto a plane with a wig on, pretending to be pregnant. She had a pillow under the dress, flies to Bellingham, takes a taxi to the local school campus, goes to these nearby bars and finds a woman that she likes, invites her to her hotel to do cocaine with her. Cocaine, let's do it. She's like, no, thank you. You're pregnant. But I can drop you off at the motel. And when she does, she keeps begging, no, please. Like, let's just have one glass of wine together or water. Like, I'm just so lonely. I just, I need some friends. Her name is Kim. Uh, Okay. Yeah, I mean, I feel bad, I guess, right? This pregnant woman's so lonely. They get into the motel room. Veronica jumps out of the bathroom with a wire cord, tries to strangle her. Thankfully, Kim is strong, throws Veronica off, runs out of the room, and a few days later, she reports Veronica to the police. And they were very quick to track her down. Once she was caught, Kenny's undying love for her, well, it died, okay? He didn't find her useful anymore because she would be in prison till 2003. She did try to make Kenny jealous by dating another serial killer. And there was even an article written about it. Hillside Strangler dumped for Sunset Slayer. (laughs) You're kidding me. Yeah. (laughs) It's like the TMZ of serial killers. It's really bizarre. (laughs) Okay. Kenny was offered a plea deal to testify against Angelo. In exchange, he would be sentenced to life in prison. No death penalty. Meanwhile, Angelo in prison confesses to a cellmate that he murdered the girls. And he did it because they deserved to die. It had to be done. So on Halloween, the sixth anniversary of Judy Miller's body being found, Angela was found guilty of all counts of the Hillside Strangler murders. He was sentenced to life in prison. The jury did not want to give him death because they felt it was unjust to give him a harsher punishment than Kenny. Now, there were some like, what the heck moments. So when Detective Grogan was escorting Kenny from Bellingham to L.A., Kenny had to use the restroom. Now, they were going to watch him nonstop. They're not going to let this guy just pee in peace, you know? They've seen way too many James Bond movies. So they're literally watching him pee. And they couldn't help it. They just had to take a peek. So all the police, they peek over the stall, and they look at, well, Kenny's little Kenny. And the LAPD joked, and I'm not finding this funny, I'm telling you they joked, that Kenny couldn't have been the one to sodomize the woman because he was too small. I don't know how I feel about that. Angela's lawyer also filed um, a motion in court saying that (laughs) Angela was suffering cruel and unusual punishment. That was against his constitutional rights as an American citizen. What happened, you ask, right? Well, they had taken away Angela's red silk underwear in prison. Silk underwear? Yes. And that was cruel and unusual punishment because now he's got hemorrhoids. I don't know if that's the reason. I don't know if he has hemorrhoids, but they said that was cruel and unusual punishment. And the judge ordered the silk underwear to be returned back to Angelo. So he was just wearing silk undies in prison. Kenneth Bianchi is uh, currently held in the Washington State Penitentiary for his crimes. In 2002, Angelo had died of a heart attack. And that is the story of the Hillside Stranglers. Wow. It's gruesome, it's dark, and I know this case probably made you angry. I tried to keep my emotions in check, but trust, while I was researching this whole case, I just had so many moments where I wanted to throw this book, I wanted to throw my laptop, I wanted to throw my computer at the wall, because it's like, what is happening? What what kind of people? People? They're not even people. These are disgusting scum of the earth. So stay safe out there, 
and don't don't trust people with badges, right? <laughs> I mean, let's say they're real. Let's say they're not. Still don't trust them that hard, okay? Just be skeptical all the time. And I hope you guys enjoyed this week's mini-sode, and I'll see you on Wednesday for the main episode. Bye.